Thank you for listening to this week's episode of the Salt Church Podcast. Here we go. I'm in trouble. Okay, so one more announcement that did not make the bulletin. There is going to be a healing service on the same day as the parade. So it's June 17th. It's at 6.30 here at SALT. Um, our son Randy is coming in. He's been, God's been um, taking him on this healing journey. And he's been seeing multiple healings take place. I know it's a busy day. It's alumni weekend. It's quarry fest. It's a parade. But it's 6.30 that night. If you know someone who needs healing in their body, you want to be here. Um, they have a, web, or a website called Mustard Birds Ministry. And you can go on there and read the testimonies of the healings that have taken place to pump up your faith and get ready. Okay? It's going to be awesome. 17th at 6.30. All right. Praise God. So just a little background on that. Um, a couple of years ago, Randy's uh, pastor gave out a kind of like a, a mandate to the church to pray and fast and ask the Lord what you're praying and fasting for and then just do it. And so Randy decided that he wanted to see more healings. He started, he was reading all these God's generals books, right? All these things that, um, all the testimonies of people that were like, just somehow had extra faith for healing and, and just hundreds and hundreds and hundreds, thousands of healings that God has done over the years. And just to read those testimonies really does do something on the inside of you. And um, a year goes by, he was praying for different people. A year goes by and he saw zero results, zero. So what do you do? What do most people do? Give up. That must not be for me. Another, the year went by and the pastor gave the same mandate again. Same time of year. I think it was in um, end of October, beginning of November, something like that. He gave the same uh, mandate to the church. Pray and fast and ask the Lord to do something for you. So my son, who's like his mom, stubborn, um, just, he decided, Lord, uh, nothing happened. So I'm, I'm still on the same thing. Now, while he was doing that, it wasn't just like he prayed and fasted for a week and then that was it. No, all, all year long he's seeking, praying for people, memorizing scripture um, that have to do with healing. And of course, you know from Mark chapter 4, the scripture is considered a seed. And you plant the seed in your heart. And you meditate on that seed and it will produce a harvest. Now, we live in America, right? We think everything should be fast, quick, done. We live in a microwave world and we're serving a crockpot God. So God is more into a slow cooking meal and we want it like fast. But I'm here to tell you that microwave pizza is not that great compared to oven baked pizza or whatever, anything. Second year, he says to the Lord, I'm not done. You're not done. I haven't seen anything. So he prayed and fasted again couple months go by and he's praying for different people and he prayed for somebody and that person got healed. And it just kind of opened up the floodgates. Like every week, Chris and I were getting phone calls from Randy saying, I prayed for so-and-so and they got healed. I prayed for somebody else 
and they got healed. And we're talking about some like major stuff. Hearing, that was like all of a sudden people could hear. Um, one person, uh, he prayed for somebody just a couple of weeks ago, an elderly couple, maybe a month ago. Um, and there was a, like a litany of things that they needed prayer for. Uh, the guy, the uh, husband and wife, they're in their 80s. So the guy couldn't see. He couldn't see enough to read the Bible. He couldn't hear out of one ear. Um, the, the wife had a shoulder uh, frozen. that She couldn't move her, her shoulder very well. Um, I don't know. There was like six things. Uh, they, he prayed over them, and God just started moving on them. The woman started doing windmills with her shoulder like this. The guy that could not read one, he opened up the Bible before they prayed. He couldn't read even the larger print uh, heading in the Bible. He couldn't read. They prayed for him. He read like a whole, like five or six verses. And he's like, I can't, I can see. Like his sight just came to him. And uh, one thing did not get prayed. One thing they didn't receive a healing for. And he was really depressed and called me up about it and I'm like, well, you know, five out of six is pretty good. I'd take that. If I've got six issues in my body and the Lord healed five, I'd still be happy. A couple of weeks go by and they called him up again and they said, can you come back? Because our son is in a wheelchair and he's been in a wheelchair for over a year, about a year, year and a month or two. He had some sort of a back infused surgery or something like that. And he just wasn't able to stand. So Randy went back, prayed for him, and he started walking across the living room. And they just erupted and yelled. He said it scared him. Like they screamed because he's walking across the living room. And so that's not Randy, that's God. That's what God does. He took his word and he happened to plant it in Randy's heart because he put it there, meditated on it, memorized it, started quoting it, started uh, just praying it out over people. And then healing started happening. Boom, boom, one after another. So then they did a healing service at his church. Yep, calls me up and asks me to pray over this healing service. So we're hearing these testimonies all the time. And, uh, and shows you how much faith I have as a dad. Like, I'm like, uh-oh. Like now, now they're going to have a healing service. And no one's going to get healed. And he's going to get dejected and feel like all depressed and all upset because something didn't happen. So I told him, Randy, I'll be praying for you. Call me, though. Call me after the service. 9 o'clock comes and goes. 9.30 comes and goes. 10 o'clock comes and goes. We're at three hours past my bedtime now. Um, 10.30, he calls. I said, how'd it go? I'm thinking, oh, this is not going to be cool. How'd it go? He goes, Dad, I, I, there were too many healings. I couldn't count them all. Uh, just about every, there's, uh, there's like, there's, they asked at the end of the service, how many people got healed? He says, there's so many hands. They said, I'll oh, just forget it. Put your hands down. They didn't even count. God is on the move. God desires to heal. It's phenomenal. So we're here to say, let's put the Lord, let's, let's put the Lord to work all over again. We're having a healing service on June 17th. Start thinking about who should come 
Because God desires to heal people. That's his desire. And then start praying. Start walking in faith and start walking with expectation. Start taking some of those scriptures, those healing scriptures, and start uh, memorizing it yourself. Plant them. Hide them in your heart. I never understood that scripture until I had some revelation on Mark chapter 4. Why would you take the word of God and hide it? To me, it was like, no, you take the word of God and you, like, advertise it. You, like, talk about it, throw it out. No, it's talking about taking the seed and hiding it in your heart and not allowing the enemy to snatch that out of you. And trust me, the enemy desires to pluck that right out of your heart because if you don't keep it in your heart, it can't produce the harvest that God desires to produce in your life. And how does that happen? I don't know. Get stubborn. Don't give up. Plant it in there. And if you don't see the harvest after five minutes, keep it in there. No farmer plants, you know, corn on Friday and then Saturday morning's like, well, I guess it didn't work. No, it takes a little bit of time. Now, sometimes it doesn't look like it takes time. Sometimes we pray for somebody and they get healed just like that. Well, let me tell you, God operates through faith. And sometimes there might be somebody else in the room that's been meditating on those scriptures that has been hiding those, that seed in their heart and that they're believing. And we don't know that person themselves. Maybe they've been praying for week after week, year after year. Maybe that's what happens. And then, boom, something culminates all at once. Maybe it's because the Lord says in James chapter 5, if anyone's sick among you, come to the elders of the church and let them lay hands on you and the sick will recover. That's what the word says. We were at the first Friday, Friday, and uh, uh, somebody, I ran into somebody uh, on the street and they said they came to the uh, service when Richie was here. I don't know, three weeks ago or something like that. And Richie Seltzer was here. He's coming back in October. Praise the Lord, because, you know, he's anointed. And uh, he said he was here. He hadn't been able to work um, comfortably at all. Had a really, really difficult something that was going on in his back. And he said he came here. Richie was preaching. Richie said, somebody's back is being healed right now. He said, I'm here to tell you, I'm the guy. I got healed. I'm working every day. I have zero problems, zero pain. He said, I couldn't even drive in the car because my back would just like seize up and it would hurt so bad. He says, now I can drive anywhere. Completely healed. Well, that wasn't Randy and that wasn't Richie. That was God. But God, but God chooses to partner with us for some reason. His power, Ephesians 3.20, his power, our faith. That partnership is what God desires to, to use. I almost look at it this way. If you were, um, okay, so like I've always, I love sports, right? And uh, I'll just use a basketball thing just because it's one of the sports I, I love. If I was playing basketball, and I was in a league that was important to me. And it was so important to me that I worked out every day. I ran every morning. I did shooting drills every afternoon. And I worked and I worked and I worked. And it came to the championship game and I won. 
and I got a trophy, that would mean something to me. But if I never played in the game, if I never lifted a weight, if I never ran a mile, if I never did a shooting drill, and I'm just happened to be walking in the gym and someone says, here, this is for you, and hands me this trophy, it would mean absolutely nothing to me. I'd be like, what, whatever, I didn't do anything. Well, God created us to perform his will. He created us to perform his works. And he knows who, how he created us. He's not just going to say, here, here's your trophy. He's going to say, no, here's your prayer. Here's your word. Here's your meditation. Here's your work. Here's your faith. Work it out. Continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. And then when you receive the prize, boom, that means something now. And he desires for us to partner with him. Is it easy? Kind of. It's his power. That's what makes it easy. But it's our will to do it. We have to will to do his word. And it's, yeah, there's a struggle. We have an enemy. Sometimes our enemy is staring at us in the mirror. Because we think, I, I can't do this. We think, I'm not able. Well, that's only half of, half of it. You're filled with the Holy Spirit. So you, you know, people say, that, people say it this way. You can't do anything without Jesus. Well, guess what? I'm not without Jesus. So that means I could do anything in his will. And so, um, so here we are. <laughs> we did those baptisms last week, and I made a re- reference that this is like their wedding day. That, um, you know, before you get baptized, it's kind of like you're dating Jesus. And then once you make that public commitment, that public declaration, that I'm going to, like, I'm going to purposefully commit my life to follow him forever. He's my Lord. He's my Savior. That's like your wedding day. It's like getting married. There's a phrase that I've gotten into the habit of saying when people get married, when they come up to the altar. Uh, I don't know how many weddings I've done. Many of you have been to the weddings that I've officiated at, but and you probably don't even recognize us. You wouldn't even, because I know you, you're not paying attention. Neither would I. It's, you know, you watch the, you watch the groom, you're you're looking at the the groom, you're looking at the bride, you're trying to see if they're crying, trying to see, you know, if she's, you know, are they nervous? You're not paying attention to what's actually going on. But what the first phrase I usually say when the couple come up to the altar is this, welcome to the altar. Because this is the place. Symbolically, this is the place where you meet God. This is the place where promises are kept. This is the place where covenants are made. This is the place in which you literally are navigating a contract with God himself to appropriate the rest of your life in this this relationship. And it's the same thing with baptism. Baptism. This is up at the altar because you are literally 
making a marital covenant with the King of Kings and Lord of Lords. And we guess what? You know as well as I do, if you've been married for longer than 10 minutes ever in your life, then you know as well as I do, this is not the end, it's the beginning. Right? I think it was Benjamin Franklin that says, when you enter into marriage, you should enter into it with your eyes wide open, but thereafter keep them half shut. Right? Like, things happen after marriage. You know, the, the, uh, men's attitude is usually like, I'm going to marry the woman in hopes that she never changes. Women's attitudes, I'm going to marry the man in hopes that he'll change into the image that I have for him. Like, it's like, huh? Reminds me of this story where um, this couple had been married for a number of years, and the, the guy was super successful. CEO, very wealthy, very successful in life, had life by the tail, knew what he was doing, and they're going on vacation, and he was driving this super fancy, expensive car. I forget what it was. I think it was a Chevy Colorado. Anyway, um, just kidding. That's what I drive. People don't know this. And they stopped to get gas. And as they stopped to get gas, uh, the attendant comes to, help, to pump gas into his fancy, expensive car. And it was obvious that the wife had, had known him. And she was like, she lit up and she laughed and she ran over and gave him a hug. And the, the husband's just like, who is this guy? They get back into the car. They're driving down the road. And he says, who was that man that you hugged? Who, who was the gas station attendant? And she says, oh, that was my boyfriend before I met you. And he just started laughing and he said, oh, so you mean to tell me you could have been married to a gas station attendant instead of a CEO? And she laughed just as loudly and said, no, no, you don't get it. If I had married him, he'd have been the CEO and you'd have been the gas station attendant. (laughs) So true. When we marry God, he will change you. It's his desire Jesus said, and we're in a Bible study this week, Matthew 21. Jesus said that um, he who follows me talking about him being like the the cornerstone. You will fall on me and you will be broken. Or you will eventually be, be ground to powder, it says. What that verse is saying is like, when we marry Jesus, he is, this sounds so negative and it sounds so harsh, But we as human beings have to be broken. We have to be broken in order to be fit for the kingdom. We have to be broken in order to be qualified. And it sounds so like, wait a minute, I thought my qualification was in Christ Jesus. Your your qualification is in following him. And he said, you must fall on me and be broken. Because he is desiring, he's not done with you. I don't care if you're older than Manny, who's not here. 
He's not done. Moses' real ministry didn't start until he was 80. He's not done with you. You're, if he was done with you, then you'd be dead. Because he's going to continue to retool you, refashion you, reshape you, and fit you for the kingdom. All of the days of our lives. That's what's going to happen. He's not done. I wanted to get into First uh, Peter today, um, which was written by Peter. I say that because actually that's been under dispute. There are people out there that says, I don't think that was Peter. I think that doesn't even sound like Peter. That, that's too lofty. For, Peter isn't that smart. He's a fisherman. Well, I remember in the book of Acts when Peter and John were arrested and they were giving a, like their case to the Sanhedrin. And the Sanhedrin, the council, said, who are these untrained, uneducated men who sound so intelligent? And they made note that they had been with Jesus. So I don't care if it sounds like Peter. I don't care if it seems like way above Peter's pay grade. I know Peter wrote it because the first word of the book says Peter. I don't know. Does it say Peter? Yeah. Peter, an apostle of Christ Jesus. So therefore, there isn't anything in the Bible that God hasn't tooled. There isn't anything in the word of God because it's not the word of Peter. It's actually the word of God inscribed by Peter. And so if the word of God says that Peter wrote it, then guess what? Peter wrote it. It's interesting because in Galatians chapter 3, Paul makes it clear that he was the apostle. Paul was the apostle to the circumcised. And Peter is the apostle to the uncircumcised. What that means in plain English, Paul was saying, which is also in the word, Galatians chapter 3, so we know it's true, that Paul was called to minister and to be an apostle to the Jewish people. And Peter was called to be an apostle to the Gentiles. Yet, Peter writes this book from Rome, from the Gentile capital of the world. He actually doesn't even call it Rome. He calls it Babylon because in the Bible, that's like, that's like hidden language for this is the sin city. This is a city that's known for wickedness. And it's clear, we know from other texts, I'm not going to bore you with the, the scriptural gymnastics to, to get you there, but he's writing this book from the sinful capital of the Gentile nation, Rome, at this time. But he's there which we know from history that he's already, be, he's already begun to be persecuted and he's, going, he's about to be crucified upside down. He already knew Caesar Nero was going to take care of this thing. And yet there's some of us that would be like, well, why would you be in Rome? If you would just do what God told you to do, you wouldn't have been there. You're supposed to be ministering to the Jews and yet you're in Rome. And why was he in Rome? Because Paul was in prison there because he was caught ministering to the Gentiles. 
They were, I mean, the Jews, they, they were opposite. Which leads me to think, and I, don't, I just throw this all out there because some, every, everybody's like this. You're called to do this, and yet you want to do that. Paul was called to be the apostle to the, which that doesn't even make sense to me, by the way. Because Paul was an extremely educated man. He went to like the Ivy League school of the day. He could speak the language of the Jews. He knew the ins and outs. He knew the, the, the holidays. He knew all the rituals. He was trained as, as in the best school of the day. And God says, I'm going to send you to the, to the barbarians. I'm going to send you to the Gentiles. Now, Peter, who was this great, large fisherman, great big guy, who was pretty rough, stuck his foot in his mouth all the time. God says, I'm going to send you to the educated ones. I'm going to send you to the Jews. Why would he do that? Because if they were going to end up doing it in their own strength, it would fail. He sent them to the area in which they knew they had to lean on God. If you can do things on your own, with your own ingenuity, with your own wisdom, with your own abilities, with your own talents, with your own mind, with your own power, with your own influence, you're probably doing it for yourself. God will call you above and beyond what you're capable of doing. Because if you know that you have to lean on him, that's why in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, it says, not many of you are wise, not many of you are noble. I heard one preacher say it this way, if you're good looking, I still think there's hope for you. We have to get to that, pl- that broken place where we're literally know that's beyond our own abilities and that's where we start leaning on God. I wanted to, to like get into the passage here about um, being living stones because, well, let me read it. I, we should get a little scripture in today. Huh? Sound good? First Peter chapter 2. Coming to him, verse 4, coming to him as, a, as to a living stone, rejected indeed by men, but chosen by God and precious, speaking of our Lord. You also, speaking to us, you also as living stones are being built up a spiritual house, a holy priesthood to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Christ Jesus. You are the temple of the Holy Spirit. In 1 Kings chapter 6, it talks about building the earthly temple, Solomon's temple. And it says this, and it's actually very appropriate for you and I. It says, and the temple, when it was being built, was built with stone, finished at the quarry. Or I'd like to say finished at the quarry. One person got it. Okay. That no hammer or chisel or any iron tool was heard in the temple while it was being built. 
what they did was they had a quarry. It was actually underneath what we call the old city today. It was not at the site of the temple. And at the quarry is where all the chiseling and the hammering and the fashioning of the stones were done. And then it was actually hauled, traveled, carried, somehow got to the site of the temple. So that at the temple place, there was no hammering, there was no chiseling, there was no refashioning or retooling. It was quiet, peaceful. That's the way God decided to do it. Uh, there's a, there's a, there's a, I don't want to say the word story because it makes it sound like it might not be true. I believe this to be true. I've read it in a number of different accounts. It's not in the Bible, but it's in history that over here where they were doing the, where they were making the stones for the temple, they had uh, built or chiseled out a cornerstone and they delivered it to the temple. And when it got to the temple, nobody knew. The builders didn't know what the manufacturers had done that for. And they rolled it over the Kidron Valley Hill. They rolled it over the hill. Now a number of years go by and they're at the completion of the temple. And they, they get word to the quarry, we need the cornerstone. We need the cornerstone. Chisel out the cornerstone. And they said, we sent that to you years ago. And somebody had recalled that the one big, huge rock that they had rolled down the hill, and it fit perfectly as the cornerstone. Precious. Fit perfectly. It was the perfect fit. And if you get, it's, it's a symbol of Jesus Christ. It says in verse 7, the stone which the builders rejected, rolled down the hill, has become the chief cornerstone, a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. They stumble being disobedient to the word to which they also were appointed. But you are a chosen generation. Talking about you and me now. You're a chosen generation. A holy nation. Let me break this down. Let me just say this. It's symbolic. I'm trying not to bore you guys to death, but listen. It's symbolic. The quarry where they chiseled out the rock was apart, separate, not in the same location as the temple. You and I are here now by Peter called stones, living stones. We're literally in the quarry. We're being fashioned for the kingdom in heaven. All of the hammering, all of the chiseling, all of the retooling is being done on earth so that we could be fit for the holy temple for all of eternity up in heaven. There's not going to be, when we get to heaven, there's not going to be any clamoring and banging and hammering and and re-sawing and re-chiseling. We're to be chiseled out now. Are you chiseled? (laughs) Because you're in process. We're all in process. Being chiseled being fit for the kingdom, for heaven, up there. And we have a cornerstone to to walk us through. Hmm. Well, that's my introduction. All right, let me just read some more of that scripture. I'm doing this way out of order because it actually starts back in chapter 1. (laughs) 
we read these scriptures like, like that's a good idea. It's good advice. We read these scriptures sometimes and we don't really understand the weight of it or the, the implication that they're trying to, like, like God himself is trying to con- convey to his living stones, you and me. We fight against the chiseling. We fight against the hammering. We think our way is a little bit better. God says, hey, don't have sex before marriage. We think, I, I can get away with it. God says, don't slander. We think, eh, everybody does it. God says, you need to operate in forgiveness. We think it's impossible to forgive that guy. So when we read these, I know this is, giving, this is becoming a little bit of a downer, but he, he doesn't, it's the same thing about giving for the offering. He doesn't need us to not have slander in our lives or gossip. We do. He doesn't need us to, it's not like he's up there. It's like, I'm going to place a man, a desire for every woman and give him one. No, he's like, listen, I'm fashioning you for one. Get rid of the, the enemy's speech and go for that one. You want to know what real love is? Forget the 10, go for the one. You want to, you want to walk in true forgiveness? Forgive before he deserves to be forgiven. And then it'll unleash healing in your life. That person spit in your face, spit on theirs. No, Jesus said, turn the other cheek. He didn't say this because we're some like great human experience or experiment that he's doing. Like he doesn't have like 15 other earths. He's like, let's, uh, let's, let's, let's let these guys do it this way and that guy do it. No, we're his royal priesthood. We're his chosen generation. We're God's special people. He designed us from the very beginning to be in communion with him. The garden is full of communion with God and the second earth is too. He says, since you have purified your souls in obeying the truth. In other words, since you have given your life to Christ Jesus through the spirit, through the spirit, it says, that's a spiritual thing that takes place. It's not about mouthing a prayer. It's about believing in your heart. It's not about saying you're my Lord. It's about being his servant. Since you have purified your souls in obeying the truth through the spirit in sincere love of the brethren, love one another fervently with a pure heart. I know it's easy to say just love. But as human nature, we just want to love people that love us. He's saying just love, period. That's the mandate, love, period. 
at one point in time, Jesus was talking to Peter and he says, you know not which manner in which you will die. When you were young, you were able to go where you wanted to go. But when you're old, you'll be girded and you'll go to where you don't want to go. And the very first thing the author of this book says is, what about John? What about him? That's human nature. What do you mean? I'm going to die this gruesome death. What about that guy? You know what Jesus said? Let that guy be that guy. You follow me. That's what Jesus said. So we don't compare with each other. We compare with him. In other words, you don't love people if they love you. You love people because God loves you. He didn't say, oh, follow the way John follows. No, he said, okay, let John worry about John. You worry about following me. You follow me. And that's our whole thing. I don't, everything else in this talks about like the fleeting of life, you know. We're just grass, just here today and gone tomorrow. But we're being tooled for eternity. On this stone will be broken, but on whomever it falls, it will grind him to powder. We need to be broken. That's actually a perfect illustration right there. We need to be broken and then the baby cries. If we could really be open with who we are, we'd be crying too. We'd be like, I don't want to be broken. But we need to be broken. I'm way past. So let's stand up. Father God, we stand before you in this incubator called a quarry. rubbing against other living stones. Help us to receive that. Help us to volunteer. To have another living stone used in your hand to knock off the rough edges in my as, as in my stone. Fashion us for eternity, Lord. Fashion us for the kingdom. Thank you, Lord. Turn us into the people, the chosen generation, the royal priesthood. Fashionest so that we may proclaim your praises. Because you called us out of darkness and you put us into a marvelous light. It's an honor to be your servant. It's an honor to worship you, Lord. To be close to you. To love you. Have your way in each of us, Lord. We can uh, signify our agreement to that by just saying amen.
Amen. Well, have a blessed, blessed week. Thank you for listening to this week's episode of the Salt Church Podcast. 